Thank you for getting up. Thank you for getting up. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to come again, to assemble together, Lord God, to praise and worship your holy name. So, Father, speak to us today. Speak through me today, God. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit on today, God. For we need you like never before. Our God, our God, we need you like never before. And I pray, God, that this word that you gave to me today would apprehend hearts today. In the name of Jesus, that would apprehend hearts, Lord God. And cause us to change our ways. Hallelujah. Because of this reality that you're going to reveal on us to, to illuminate on today, God. In the name of Jesus. On the wings of the anointing, let it drop from our head to our spirit. So that we can apply it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to tell you in the outset, this is not a jumpy shouting. But in fact, this message is, and I know we got kids in here, is designed to scare the hell right out of you. All right? All right? There was a lady named Carol Fuller who was a 72-year-old grandmother living alone in West Hollywood in 1995. During a home invasion robbery, she was locked in a closet. Her home was ransacked and her car was stolen. All this took place without anyone knowing. But the worst part followed. Days later, investigators found her dead in the closet, in one of her closets, with her fingers cut from trying to claw her way out. Sadly, Carol Fuller, Fuller left this world experiencing much the same horror many will experience for the rest of eternity. Try as they might, Claw as they might, they will only have death and darkness as their companion. We always talk about spending eternity with God and how great heaven is. But today, at the direction of the Holy Spirit, we are going to talk about spending eternity without God. And the title of my message is, Hell is Real. Hell is real. So we're going to go right to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to begin at verse number 31. Matthew chapter 25. And the purpose of Matthew's gospel is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the eternal King. Matthew wrote his gospel specifically and especially to the Jews. And I said it before and I'll say it again. He was a tax collector, which meant that he was probably very unpopular. Right? But, even though he was a tax collector and was unpopular, he became one of Jesus' disciples. 
This gospel, Matthew's gospel, forms a connecting link between the Old and New Testaments because of its emphasis on the fulfillment of prophecy. And verse 31 picks up here, it says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his what? And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And verse 3 says, And he shall set himself, he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king, who is the king of kings, he's the highest king. He's the supreme ruler over all, shall say unto them on his right hand, Come, you be blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, or hungry, and you gave me what? Meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When we when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, saying unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch you have done it to one of the what? Did he say the one that's at the top? No. Did he say the one that's in the middle? He said what? The least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto who? Then he shall say unto them on the left hand, the goats, depart from me, you cursed. Into where? Everlasting fire. Another translation says eternal fire. Mm. Prepared for the devil and his angels or demons. For I was unhungered and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in. Naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison and you visited me not. Oh my goodness gracious. Then shall they answer, also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we be hungry, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and, and did not minister unto thee. This is what, you're going to say this to a lot of people. <laughs> Just think about it. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away, where? Into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into what? Life eternal. When God really wants to get a message across, he will say it twice. Look at verse 41. He said, Then he shall say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you curse, into the everlasting what? Fire. Prepare for the devil and his what? Angels. 
And then verse 46 says, And these shall go away into everlasting what? Punishment. But the righteous into everlasting life eternal. No teaching is clearer than that of a final destination for all people. Whether they are wicked or whether they are not, un, not wicked, whether they are believers or unbelievers. God will separate his obedient followers from the pretenders and unbelievers. All right. Now, the real evidence of your truth is the way you act and the way you treat people. I'm talking about the way you treat people right here on this earth. Because we look for Jesus in the wrong manner. In the wrong reason, through the wrong people, in the wrong way. We look for Jesus high and lifted up and singing hallelujah while we're here in church, but not while we're on the street. Jesus said, when you, you fed me when I was, what, hungry, naked. You visited me when I was sick and in prison, right? Right? To the least of these, a tree is known for the fruit that it bears. To treat all the people you encounter as if it, if they were Jesus, guess what? It's no easy task. Because you do have people that will try to use you. You do. You got people that will try to use you and try to use the fact that you are a believer against you. That's why you have to stay closely connected to God for a spirit of discernment. So that you will recognize if this is really Jesus or you are, are, you, are you entertaining an angel unaware. Huh? You need to remember that what you do for others demonstrates what you really think about Jesus' words to you. Feed the hungry, get the homeless a place to stay and look after the sick and go visit those in prison. Now, yesterday, several of us went to the homeless shelter, and all I could think about were those three words of instruction. How did, how am I latching up to what Jesus really wants me to be doing? How am I living up to the standard of the word? Right, right. Now, I'm not saying that I'm unsaved. Don't get, get good and twisted and I'm on my way to hell. But these are the, this is the standard. Because I'm saved, because I'm a believer, that I have to live up to. Hmm? But we're not staying there because I got other parts that we need to really talk about. I'm going to ask you a question. How well do your actions separate you from pretenders and unbelievers? Now, there are many people who love the idea of heaven, but hate the idea of hell. One mm -hmm. of the reasons is because God has given us his grace, and it's so everlasting, and it's so outpouring that we got grace, grace, and abundant grace, which we do have, that we forget about that there's going to come a day that God is going to have to judge us. Amen. Hmm? The Bible is clear that hell is just as real as heaven. In fact, the King James Version mentioned hell 54 times. 31 in the Old Testament and 23 in the New Testament. 
The Bible clearly and explicitly teaches that hell is a real place to which the wicked and the unbelieving are sent after death. Hell is, sim is not simply, as many would have it, a place where only people like Hitler wind up. Wind up. The truth is, and this is the truth of man, all of us deserve it, right? That's the truth. Because the word says in Romans chapter 3, 23, we all have sinned and come short of the what? Glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And since all our sin is ultimately against God, according to Psalm 51 and 4, which says, Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And since God is an infinite and eternal being, then sin against an eternal being deserves eternal punishment. Mm -hmm. But thanks be for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. So then, physical death then can't be a sufficient payment for eternal sin. Mm -hmm. The payment must also be infinite and eternal. Amen. Told y'all it's not going to be a jumpy shoddy. <laughs> Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 and 15 New King James says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Mm -hmm. This is the second death. And anyone, here's the key part, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. How many of us ever been up to Lake Michigan? Or seen a lake? A lake can almost seem as big as an ocean depending upon where you are. Right? So this is a description of a lake of fire that you will be thrown into which is called the second death but you won't die in the lake of fire. Hallelujah. Mm. It's getting thick in here. It's getting hot in here, huh? <laughs> Eternal punishment takes place in hell, the lake of fire of the hell, which we'll talk about in a minute, the place of punishment after death for all those who refuse to repent. So let's go a little bit deeper. In Hebrew, three words were used in connection with eternal punishment. Sheol, Hades, and Gehenna. Shehol, or the grave, was used in the Hebrew Old Testament to mean the place of the dead generally thought to be under the earth. Mm -hmm. Hades is the Greek word for the underworld, the realm of the dead. Mm -hmm. But Gehenna, or hell, was named after the valley in Ben-Hanam, near Jerusalem, where children were sacrificed by fire to the pagan gods. This is the place of eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels and those who do not believe in God. This is the final and eternal state of the wicked after the resurrection and the last judgment. So when Jesus warns us against unbelief, he is trying to save all of us from agonizing eternal punishment. So let me put it where the ghost can get it so that you can understand it a little better. Hell is the place of eternal separation. It's a place of outer darkness. It's a place of eternal or unquenchable fire. It's a place of everlasting contempt. It's a place of everlasting torment, of eternal punishment, of everlasting destruction. And those in hell will feel the full weight of God's anger. 
throughout eternity. And it's also the place of retribution. What does that mean? Punishment proportionate to the evil committed. In other words, you will get what you deserve for eternity. But lastly, and not least, there's only one way in and no way out. You'll be just like Carol Fuller trying to claw your way out. But there is no way out. Huh. Hallelujah. Which leads me to this question. What in hell do you want? I just gave you everything hell has to offer. So what in hell do you want? Not a thing. Not a thing. <laughs> Yet, people choose it every day. Choose it every day. God does not send anyone to hell. In fact, he, want, he, 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 he wants no one to perish. He don't want anybody to go to hell. Hmm. So why, why, do we, why do people choose to go to hell? And then, great question is, why don't the church talk about it? We're too busy talking about the abundant life and tomorrow will get better and giving motivational speeches. But the reality of the fact is we are going to spend eternity either with God or without God. And in case you hadn't noticed, Jesus is closer to coming back than ever before. How do you know? He's one day closer because we're a day ahead of from yesterday. And you see what happened over in Israel? Which is a key to Jesus' return. Wars and rumors of wars. Coming against them, coming against Israel. We have got to get our act together because hell is real. I know this is not a jumpy shot you make you feel good message, but it ought to spur you into thinking. How do you live? You need to have a, as I used to say, a checkup from the neck up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. The question is one of location. The righteous or, or the believer whose sin has been exchanged on the cross for the righteousness of Christ will experience the never-ending bliss in heaven where God himself will wipe away every tear according to Revelation 21 and 4. The wicked or the unbeliever will be forever subjected, subjected to the fury and wrath of God the Father in hell, where they will all, but the key part is, where they will acknowledge the perfect judgment of God. 
Those who are in hell will also know that their punishment is just and that they alone are to blame. They will come to the realization that I did this to me. Hallelujah. They don't recognize it now, but they will recognize it then that I do. I don't like it. <laughs> And it's going to last for eternity. But I bought this on myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the problem is with some of us, you know, I'm just going to digress for a minute. Some of the things that we go through mm -hmm. is because we bought it on ourselves. Right. The decisions that we have made got us in the position that we are in. Right. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. And then we try to blame God or something that we decided to do. Right. And then expect God to get us out of the mess that we created. Right. <sighs> now back on to the point. <laughs> Hell is most definitely real. A very real place of torment and punishment that lasts forever and ever. But God, in his infinite mercy and grace, led you here today to learn how not to go to hell. I'm not going to leave you in hell. I'm going to tell you how to not go to hell. Number one, which is something you've heard it before, you must be born again. You must be born again. Let's go to John chapter 3. You must be born again. Familiar story. You must be born again. That will keep you I'm going to hell. Hallelujah. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. There was a man of the Pharisees, which was a group of conservative Jews, named Nicodemus. Nicodemus, what Nick, as I would like to call him, he was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered him and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Nick was trying to inquire about these miracles, but Jesus was going to give him what he really needed. So Nick said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother womb, mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the what? Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now there was a poll conducted by Barner that Barner that said 76% of Americans believe in heaven. But 71% believe you can go to heaven without Jesus. <laughs> well, I got something to fix. I got to, let me fix you. Right. 
The only way you can be born again is through Jesus. Right. And the only way that you can go to heaven is to be born again. Now, the phrase born again can also be translated as born from above. Nicodemus had a real need because although he was religious, he needed a change of heart, a transformation that can only come from above. New birth, being born again, is an act whereby eternal life is imparted or given to the person who believes. And so what you have to do, you need to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you will be what? Saved. That's what Nick needed. Amen. Being born again also carries the idea of becoming the child or children of God. Wow, how? Do you trust in the name of Jesus? Without being born again, there is no life and or, and or no relationship with God. In new birth, when you get born again, a new perspective comes because if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things have passed away and behold, all things become new. That means you have a new perspective about you. And you're a, a godly, eternal kingdom perspective. And through being born again, you are introduced or literally enter into a new realm where God's new kingdom order can be realized. Being born again is more than simply being saved. It is a requalifying experiencing experience, opening up the possibilities of your whole being to a supernatural dimension of life in you for the beginning in God's kingdom order so you will serve his kingdom agenda. Guess what? Human birth and physical ancestry are insufficient for obtaining eternal life. Amen. Don't care who you were born to, what family you come from, and how saved all of them are. The only way that you can be saved is to have your own up-to-date relationship with Jesus Christ. Just like, I'm, just like Jesus told Nick, I'm telling you, you must. <laughs> you must, not your grandmama now, not your auntie now, not your daddy now, not your homeboy now. You must. Say, I must be born again. Hallelujah. See, what happens is God's spirit invisibly does its work inside your heart. You can't see it happening. All you know, all you will notice is the results. <laughs> you can't see it, but you can feel it. <laughs> you might not be able to see it, but those around you, if you really have had the born-again experience, if you really had it, they will see it. Yeah. They will look at you and say, something different about you. Especially those who knew you from before. BC, before Christ. Now some won't understand it and they try to call you snooty. But that's alright. As long as you got yourself together with him and you are born again, you will not go to hell. I would rather be born again by myself on an island 
than to not be born again and to go to a place, a dark place of hell and spend all eternity with everybody else in the world. Hallelujah. It's not worth it. I'm telling you many times, I am not going to live in time and go through all kinds of hell on earth than to go to hell and spend eternity in that kind of mess. Well, God has been too good. He has kept me through too much. He has called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He has set me free. He has delivered me. And what he's done for me, he can do for you. I don't care what you have done. You can be born again too. Hallelujah. That's how much God loves you and led you here today for. To let you know that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. And he's coming back again for you. Hallelujah. But then that's not all. Being born again is entry level Christianity. Next thing you got to do is just don't be a fan. You have to become a follower. That's it. That's <laughs> you have to be a follower because if you're a follower, then you'll be able to do what those things that Jesus said in the beginning <laughs> you'll do. You won't, you won't be compelled to do it. You'll just do it because you're following him. Mm -hmm. Let's quickly turn to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 24 and 25. Don't be just a fan. Be a follower. See, a fan goes to the game, put on all the makeup. If you live in Green Bay, be snowing like crazy and you go shirtless. Looking like crazy. Look like a fool. <laughs> because you're a fan. But then you get to go home. And get warmed up and take all the makeup off to the next game. Being a follower means you're on the field. You're in the game. Not an observer, but you're in the game. It says this. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him do what? And do what? Take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall what? Lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Let him take up or pick up what? His cross. What is the cross? Whatever you have to carry through this life is your cross that you have to bear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our mission statement is we are doing what? Transforming believers into disciples. Transforming believers into disciples or followers. Denying yourself is a startling statement that immediately gets your attention because denying yourself isn't fun. Right. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't get up in, this, in the morning and say, today I can't wait to deny myself. Right. Hmm? Right. I, I can't wait to deny <laughs> To be successful, don't make a list of do's and don'ts. That's why the law failed. Mm -hmm, yeah. Taking up your cross and denying yourself means this. Being willing to sacrifice your time, energy, and resource, resources for the sake of Christ and others. <clears throat> you must be willing to sacrifice your time, energy, and resources for the sake of Christ and others. 
It's not easy to deny yourself, especially when you feel when you don't feel like doing it. Let's just be real. We don't feel like doing some things at certain times. We get tired. We got other things to do. But denying yourself means being willing to sacrifice your time, energy, and resources for the sake of Christ. In other words, everything you do, do it unto Him. Right, that's good. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Taking up the cross and denying yourself means living a life that is selfless rather than selfishly seeking pleasure, comfort, and material gain at the expense of others. Living a life that is selfless rather than being selfish. This is a good big one. It means engaging in the painful process of taking those old things about you and nailing them to the cross and leaving them there. What does that mean? Those, that old way of thinking that you just ain't got time, I don't feel like doing it, you come up with excuse after another, you take that and you nail it to the cross. You pick up the cross that Jesus gave you and then you go ahead and deny what you feel so that you can sacrifice for him and others. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. It means forsaking your possession and lose your possessions and losing your life in Christ. In other words, being and loving more like Jesus. All, you know, we take this saying for granted. What would Jesus do? We need to run that through our mind. But well, what would Jesus do in this situation? Going from a fan to a kingdom disciple means being a believer who takes part in the spiritual developmental process of progressively learning to live all of your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And to do that, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. Okay? So just don't be a fan. Be a follower. And then lastly, keep away from idols. Keep away from idols. First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. Verse 20 and 21. First John chapter 5. That's towards Revelation. No. The gospel of John. First John chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. And it says this, and we know that the Son of God is come and have given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. King James says, Amen. Idols are false gods and cheap imitations, and idolatry is excessive or blind adoration, reverence, or and devotion. All the various forms of idolatry have one thing at their core, self. Now I'm just going to use one 
example of idolatry, okay? One example of idolatry is bowing at the altar of materialism. The altar of materialism feeds your need to build your ego through the acquisition of more stuff. Your house is filled with all manner of possessions. We will watch, then watch TV shows where people build bigger and bigger houses with more closets and storage space in order to house all the things that they buy, much of which they haven't paid for. And even if you don't build a bigger house, most of your stuff have plans obsolescence. Meaning, there will become time that it will be obsolete mm -hmm. before you use it. And it's already built into it. So, what does that do? It makes it useless in no time. So you hang it in the closet with the price tag still on it. You store it in the basement or in a tub, but you won't throw it away because you think you're going to wear it at some time, even though you've had it over 15 years. I'm not picking on nobody. <laughs> but then you forget about what you bought and you rush out to buy a new item that you already have in the closet because you never got you got that in the closet with the price tag still on it, so you go out and buy a new one, which means you have doubles. That's the answer if I'm talking to you. I'm not talking about nobody. <laughs> this, this insatiable desire for more, better, and newer stuff is nothing more than covetousness. All idolatry of self at its core the, and, and the three lusts, they are found in 1 John 2.16 which says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Because Susie got it, I got to have it. Hmm? <laughs> I got to have it. I got to have me one of them. And you scrape, and you scrape, and you scrape, sometimes going broke or in debt to get it. It's something that you don't end up wearing in the first place. Now, don't get me wrong. God does want us to be blessed. However, he doesn't want those blessings to become a curse because we have taken the focus off of him and put it on ourselves. Don't get it twisted. He wants to bless us. He wants believers to be blessed. However, he don't want the blessing that he blessed us with to become a curse because we've taken our eye off of him and turned our focus onto the blessing which now has become a curse because now it becomes about us. You ever seen, you know, peacocks, they say, are very proud birds. And, and the more peacock uh, colors that they have, the more proud they are. There are some people that walk around peacocks. <laughs> they get bold, they get more arrogant, the chest gets stuck further out, 
They got four and five cars with the Kaoli drive one at a time. Hallelujah. And the blessing that God gives them now becomes a curse because they could have used what God had blessed them with to help somebody else. We see that all the time. Hallelujah. We see that. Don't become peacocks. I know I just made that up. <laughs> if you want to escape modern idolatry, you have to admit that it is rampant and rejected in all forms. It is not of God, but of Satan, and in it you will never find fulfillment. There are so many people that have been wealthy that did not know God, but they left this earth unfulfilled. How do you know? They end up committing suicide because something was missing out of their life. What was missing out of their life? A relationship with God, which we are built because we are created in the image of God to have. So whatever you're trying to fill your life with, whether it's a drink, whether it's a drug, whether it's a woman, whatever that may be, that thing that you're looking for, that thing that you're longing for, the thing that is missing is God. You cannot find fulfillment nowhere else. You may be fulfilled for a season or a moment, but it won't last when God is an eternal fulfillment person, a fulfillment maker. Hallelujah. See, the great lie that Satan uses is the same one he has been telling since he first lied to Adam and Eve. Sadly, we are still falling for it. Even more sadly, many churches are spreading it in this preaching of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel built on the idol of self-esteem. Sending on God and others that Matthew 25, 31 through 46 told us because hell is real. And not to go to hell, you need to be born again. Don't be just a fan, become a be a power. And stay away from idols. Amen. that message because just like God, I don't want you to go to hell. Because I'm thinking I'm telling you right now, you won't see me there. Because <laughs> I'm born again and I'm working to become a disciple. Being from, transformed from a believer into a disciple. And I'm gonna do and I'm gonna continue to keep away from those idols, the idolatry of self. That don't mean take care of yourself, but I'm not just gonna solely focus on myself. 
Because Jesus told us what we need to do. He told us we need to visit the sick. He told us to feed the hungry. He told us to clothe the naked. He told us. Hallelujah. What we need to do. So please stand to your feet. And now it's time for a reflection. It's reflection time. Self-reflection. Self-reflection. It's time for self-reflection. You need to ask yourself, am I really saved? Am I really born again? And if I am, am I just a fan or am I a follower? And if I'm a fan or a follower, am I staying away from idols? This is a time for self-reflection. If you are ready or you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior on today, this is your day. If you are tired and sick and tired of being in the same way you are and you were last year, spiritually, you need to receive Jesus today. Problems won't instantly go away. You'll have them, but you'll have him there with you. Amen. But most of all, if you don't want to go to hell, Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. If that's you, come to the come to the altar right now in Jesus' name. Come to G, come to the altar in Jesus' name. Yeah. Hallelujah! Sit right there. Yeah. Hallelujah! And if you if you need Jesus, receive Him today as your Lord and Savior. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! If you need to get back with Jesus because you walked away from him, come back to him today. It's not too late. And if you're on a road with someone, start to pray for that person next to them, especially if you are saved. Pray that they are saved. Because I love seeing you here, but I would much rather spend eternity with you. Well, God wipes away every tear, every sorrow, all the sickness and pain and everything that we go through here will be wiped away by God's hands. Hallelujah. So if you need to receive Jesus, if you want to be born again, come to Christ today. Don't miss your opportunity. Tomorrow's not promised you. All you have is today. Yesterday is gone. Can't do nothing about it.